When he years, he fathered Caleb, and Eber lived after he fathered Caleb forty-three, four hundred and three years, and had other sons and daughters. When when that person had lived thirty years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarag. And Reu lived after he fathered Sarag 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarag had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarag lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's, Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his, son's, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Let me pray. Our Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this genealogy, God. I thank you for what it means, what it represents, and Lord, the important piece that it is to our understanding of the history of redemption. So I ask Jesus, as we contemplate truths from your word today, God, I pray you would open our minds, illumine us to the truth that ultimately Jesus Christ would be glorified in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Creation, fall, the banishment of Adam and Eve, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and now the great dispersion of everybody and the call of Abraham. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I, as a kid, did not have a good grasp of my whole Bible and exactly where everything was. I don't mean the books of the Bible, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, where to find key people of the Bible, key pieces of the Bible. I just want to tell you, the best way to understand and know your Bible is to teach it in front of a group of people every single week. Um, because it And commit to preach an entire book. And commit to read every name in that book before the congregation of God. I make kind of humor about the genealogies, but the genealogies are absolutely pivotal when it comes to our understanding of the historical truth and the historical person of the Lord Jesus. Um, I'm going to speak more on that in just a bit. So here's today's message. So let me give you just the, the idea of where I'm coming from so you can set uh, accordingly. 
I am not doing an exposition of a passage of Scripture in Genesis. I will be speaking about this genealogy a little bit, and I'll be be beginning chapter 12 next Sunday. What I want to do this morning, you guys, because I don't want to take away from our time as we come to the Lord's table, I want us to get a little bit more comfortable with the person of Abraham. Now, if you take your Strong's Concordance or any concordance and look up the name Abraham and then track every reference to him in your Bible, you will find yourself very impressed with how much ink is about this man in the Word of God. From many different angles, there's lots of different bits and pieces about this this man, Abraham. And so um, I want you to think carefully so you have a good grasp on the furniture of the book of Genesis. Okay, where is everything in this book? We know that at the beginning he created all things, and that last was the creation of man and then the creation of woman. Then the sin in the garden, temptation from Satan, the fall of man and woman, banished from the garden, And then we see the worldwide flood as we keep coming down. Now we're at Noah and his children, and we see this great worldwide flood, and we talked about that at length for weeks. After the flood is this great Tower of Babel, or in the city of Babel where this tower, they were wanting to build that. And the Lord did a great dispersion and confused their languages and scattered them all over the place. And now we come to Abraham. It's fascinating to me because as you, as you walk through what has taken place thus far, we come to a massive shift in the approach to what is happening in the book of Genesis. Specifically in the book of Genesis, you and I have been studying for months now, and we've been hearing all about nations. Even more than nations, we've been hearing all about the entire human race. We see that it began with the creation of Adam and Eve. And they had uh, sons. And as they had children, sin kept moving forward as it was promised would happen. People are bad. Even Adam's kids are bad. One killed the other. You come to Noah and this massive flood. But even after the flood, guess what? Noah's kids are bad. Noah sins after the flood. All the way down to the Tower of Babel, where you see a a group of people with a desire to make a name for themselves, the passage says. And they are all dispersed. And now, it's fascinating because this is one of the biggest dividers in the book of Genesis, because from chapter 12, clean through the rest of the book, is dealing with Abraham and his family, for the most part. And so up to this point, it's been... Human race, human race, human race, human race, people groups, people groups, people groups. And it all funnels down to one individual guy and his wife. And so there's a major shift in the, in, in the, the layout of the book of Genesis. The, the most, uh, most of this book is focused on Abraham and Abraham's seed. This is a very clear, clear division, and the rest of our study will be very much biographical in nature. There's all kinds of other things attached, but it's all going to fit within the framework of the biography of Abraham. I don't know if I shared this with you guys or not. Before we started in our our study of the book of Genesis, my desire was to do a biographical sketch of Joseph. 
That was the series that I was planning on doing after we finished um, uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. Or Galatians, whichever one it was. And what I did was I started looking at the whole storyline of Joseph and going, wow, this is great, this is great, but let me go back to Joseph's father. Let me go back to Jacob's father. Let me go back to Isaac's father. And it kept taking me back going, wow, the Genesis account. I've... Okay, I give. We'll do, we'll do the entire book of Genesis. And the more I've studied it, I say this with all my heart, if there's a book that you should master, you should master every book of the Bible. But if there's a book that you master on top of mastering all of the Bible, the book of Genesis is pivotal to your grasp of the rest of the Word of God. I know when when you have somebody who's freshly converted to Christ, they say, where should I start? And there's a particular book that a lot of Christians point people to. You know what book that is? John. John's Gospel, which I'm not saying is bad, and that's kind of what we do. Um, I would encourage you to study to prepare to teach John chapter 1. And as you do that, you'll find out, wow, this is really, really, really difficult and heavy. But I don't think it's that far off. Matter of fact, I would see it as maybe a good practice to encourage them to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The reason I think that more now than I ever have is because this truly is a book of foundations. Because when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, it'd be nice to know a little bit about Abraham. And so, let me encourage you all, this is another thing I wanted to say before we go further into this. Don't raise your hand, don't nod, don't even look at me. Just think to yourself, when is the last time you read your copy of the Bible from leather to leather? or cardboard to cardboard, or scrolling on your device. When was the last time every single word of the Bible was read by you? I don't bring that up as a a guilt trip. That's not my point. My point is, um, what is more important? I'll let you figure out the answer to that question. What has been more important? The grasp of portions of the Word of God gets better and better and tighter and tighter the more you are familiar with all of the Word of God. Um, If you were to go over to somebody's home and they were putting together a puzzle and they said, yeah, it's a 3,000-piece puzzle, but I've got four pieces and they're on the table, what do you think? Well, it doesn't look very good. I don't know what it's about. I can't even make it out. There's a red piece, a blue piece, and a green piece, and I have no idea what's going on here. Beloved, far too often in our understanding of the Word of God, we take our pet verses and we pick out particular portions that we devote ourselves to studying, but we miss the entire meta narrative of all of the Word of God. So, just really quick, put in that plug. We're coming to the end of this year. Maybe this would be a great time to take up the whole Word of God. And and don't, don't rush it. Don't tell yourself it's got to be within this short little time frame. I'm just saying, have you read every word of the Bible? And this is where the conviction has always hit my heart. You believe every word is inspired by God, but maybe haven't read every word. 
something to chew on. So back to Genesis, as we see this great big shifting point, because from here on out it changes with Abraham, it only makes sense that we spend some time asking questions about Abraham. Nearly 14 chapters devoted to this man. Uh, or people within his family, and then clean through the rest of the book devoted to family members from his line. When you read your New Testament, you will read consistently, son of Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. When Jesus is in combat with the scribes and Pharisees, they're constantly bringing up Abraham. We have Abraham as our father to try to shut down Jesus. Having a grasp on who this man is is very, very important to our understanding of the whole Bible. So Abraham. Abraham is a pivotal figure in our understanding of the Scripture. As kind of a layout, you see one man, one family, one nation affecting all the earth. Okay, let me run through that again. One man, one family, which becomes one nation, which will affect all the earth. And I'll explain how it affects all the earth, Lord willing, as I come to a close this morning. Abraham, Abraham, Abram will become Abraham, which means basically a father of many nations. We're going to see later that there's a promise made to him that he will be a father of many nations from the Lord God. Which, by the way, did you catch what, what we just heard about Sarai? She's barren, incapable of having children. Is, is a little tidbit that we are given right off the bat. The reason this is so in, interesting to me is because this concept of God's miraculous work amongst his people. We talked about this a few weeks ago where God did not simply wind the clock of humanity and step away. He is at work in the midst of his people. And so as you walk through this, this brief genealogy of Shem in chapter 11, it's preparing the way for Abraham. It tells us the bloodline that it's coming through, and you can track all that back to Noah, from Shem back to Noah, and then you can track all that back to Adam. Why is that important? I would just encourage you, if Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is not highlighted or underlined in your Bible, great day to do it today, because there is a thread that's following through all of redemptive history. And so as we heard about these particular individuals, as well as many sons and daughters, it is funneling down, funneling down. Now, really quick, guys, just as a side note, I'd encourage you to go and read the genealogies in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Look at those genealogies, come back and track with some of these genealogies in the Old Testament. It's very interesting, and the reason it's so vitally important is tracing all the way from Noah and back to Adam, Luke begins with Adam, moving clean through to Jesus Christ, or back from Jesus to Adam. And seeing that this is not by accident, there's a complete game plan, and God has sovereign control over this entire thing. And so this preparation to Abraham, Abram, who will become Abraham. Abraham is the son of Terah from the line of Shem, from the Ur of Chaldeans. Now, this is interesting because what we're told is that there was pagan worshiping going on in this family. Um, as we, if you would turn to Joshua 24, verse 2. 
Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And this is what's, what's so cool about your Bible, is that you find things and you learn different things about different people that are scattered in interesting places throughout the Word of God, that shines light on your understanding. 24, chapter, one, chapter 24, verse 1 of Joshua. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, so Abraham's father, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods, half of the Lord. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. If you'd go to Acts chapter 7, verse 1, Acts chapter 7, like I said, kind of sprinkled in funny places throughout your Bible, Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Stephen, giving his defense, again touches on Abraham. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah is right after Ezra, and Ezra is right before Nehemiah. Chapter 9, verse 7. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous." The piece I'm trying to touch on here, guys, is that we're told in Joshua 24 that they served foreign gods. They're following other gods. In the midst of that, God calls and calls him unto himself. Why is that important? Because Abraham was not the glorious, righteous, perfect man that God went and selected. God called them out of idolatry unto himself from a pagan family that worshipped idols, selected by God for God's purpose, married to Sarai. As we're told, simply she'll become Sarah eventually. And so here's his wife, here's his lineage, and you ask the question, what separated him? What separates Abraham? What makes Abraham different than those around him? God comes and calls him unto himself. And Abraham walks in obedience to follow him. I'm going to look at this more in chapter 12 next week. But this call of Abraham unto the Lord, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11 really quick and just touch on 
the faith of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And so... Abraham is a man called by God, walks in obedience to God's call, and is now separated from everybody. And his nation, his family, the people that come from Abraham, will be forever separated from those around them. We're also promised that the Messiah will come through Abraham. Now, I'm not giving you all this just from chapter 12. I'm giving you a scattergun of what the whole Bible has to tell us about this man. So that way we are more comfortable with who he is and maybe refreshing uh, our memories. He's promised an offspring, land, and he's promised that he will bless every nation. Every nation will be blessed through this man whose wife is incapable of having children. And when asked how many children, he's encouraged to look up at the stars, which is, again, the Lord loves to show his power in the midst of our weakness and our incapabilities. So here's this man with a family that's worshiping idols, foreign gods, with a wife that is incapable of having children, and the promise is going to be made to him from you, will come a multitude of people and every family, every nation will be blessed through you. What comes to my mind, the the parallel that attaches is I think of Mary, a dirt poor young lady betrothed to probably another poor man and God comes to her and gives her the blessing as well as the great heartache that she would be the one who would give birth to the son the Messiah. God selects Abraham, chose Abraham. He will equip Abraham, and he will bless Abraham. He will join in a covenant with Abraham, as we'll see in chapter 17, as the Lord promises what he will do with Abraham and for Abraham. And here's another piece. Again, trying to get a good grasp of our Bible. God selects Abraham God works with the family of Abraham. Eventually, the nation of Israel comes from Abraham. God reveals himself through the nation of Israel. Now, think, that, think about this with me, okay? Think about all of the interesting portions of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. All of the laws, all of the strange things, stay away from this, do this, do that, don't wear this, don't wear that. All of these things, and you ask the question, why is God so intricate? Why is he so precise in what he's calling the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, to act and be like? What's he accomplishing through this? And I'm sure many different things could be argued and, and rightly argued. But one thing I just want to put my finger on 
God is revealing himself to the world through the nation of Israel throughout your Old Testament scriptures. Now, the tricky part about that is that they blow it over and over and over and over again. Totally unlike us, right? No, you blow it too. I blow it too. We're right there with the Israelites. And over and over and over again, God says, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And they say, we'll follow you, we'll follow you, we'll follow you. Then they don't, then they don't, then they don't. And God remains faithful to his covenantal promise. And as the nation of Israel is walking through this, you say, so what is God accomplishing through all this? He's revealing himself to the world through the nation of Israel. Those laws are revealing his holy character. He shows his power through them. He shows his righteousness through his prophets who go to the nation of Israel, and when they become the northern and southern kingdom, to Judah, calling them to repentance, calling them to holiness. Why? Because he's revealing his character through them. And so it's it's an amazing concept to think God picks Abraham, who's incapable of being a dad, says you're going to be a dad, and through you is going to come this massive group of people, and through that group of people will become this nation, and this nation will be the nation that I reveal myself through being their God throughout this portion of redemptive history. And it's not because Abraham's better than anybody else. It's because God selected Abraham for this very purpose. God will reveal himself to the world through his dealings with Abraham and his people Israel. A miraculous son is ultimately given to him, Isaac. Uh, There's a test for Abraham where he's called to sacrifice this son. God does not let that happen. God continues his promise through and rescues Isaac. A covenant is made with Abraham in chapter 17, and that's where we get the sign of circumcision, which will become a massive important thing throughout your Old Testament and throughout your New Testament as Gentiles are being grafted in and Jews grafted in together. Israel will be God's chosen vessel to reveal himself throughout the Old Testament scripture. I'm hitting that hard, beloved, because it's hard at times to read the Old Testament because sometimes you lose the forest for the trees. and You're so focused on this tree of this one particular point in the Old Testament, you're wrestling with it, which is great. I'm not saying it's wrong. But at times you've got to step back for just a second and say, okay, so, but what's the broad plane? What's the big picture of what the Lord is doing through this nation of Israel and through Abraham himself? What's God accomplishing? We do a great big mistake when we focus in on Israel and I'll focus in on Abraham and lose our focus of God and his divine purpose through them. Does that make sense? Track it with me. Be careful not to just focus on who God is using. Focus on what he's trying to accomplish through the people he's using. It's like us really getting wrapped around the axle trying to figure out, did the Apostle Paul have short hair or long hair? Who cares? The issue at hand is he's a chosen instrument of God to be used for for the spreading of the gospel. And so this nation of Israel, this group of people, Deuteronomy chapter 7, I encourage you to read that at some point, you will see what makes them so special. God's selection. 
is what chapter 7 says. And so, another very, very fascinating piece in my, from my perspective is we know all of that about Father Abraham. But then you come to the New Testament, and Abraham is brought up in some ways that are shocking to the scribes and Pharisees. And some portions in the epistles that are shocking to us. For instance... When Jesus is in combat with the scribes and Pharisees, and the scribes and Pharisees say, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus says, before Abraham was I am. Another portion where they're arguing and Abraham is brought up, Jesus says, I could raise up these stones and they could become children of Israel. Jesus consistently is hammering it that this nation is not special because they're special. They're special because they were God's chosen instrument to reveal himself to the nations. And through them, the Messiah would come. And then you come to the book of Galatians and the book of Romans. And the Apostle Paul, remember, the New Testament authors are the inspired, the New Testament authors are the inspired interpreters of the Old Testament. The New Testament authors are the inspired interpreters of the Old Testament. When the Apostle Paul in Galatians says, if you are in Christ, you are in Abraham. Galatians chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 4, as he brings up Abraham as the father of faith, the faithful, of faith, he's pointing to this fact that just as Abraham was justified by faith, so you are justified by faith. And you scratch your head and go, why is that so important? Because the culture in which he's saying that are a group of people saying we are justified by works of the law, and his argument is before the law of Moses was ever given, Abraham was justified by faith. You've always been justified by faith. And so as the scribes and Pharisees in the New Testament and the Judaizers are saying, but Abraham said, but Abraham said, the response, the screaming response by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit is, Abraham was saved in the same way you were by faith. And so isn't it interesting? Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, clean through Revelation chapter 5, that people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will be in the new heavens and new earth in the joy of Christ. And they are saved by the exact same means Abraham was saved. And it is amazing to me. And this, beloved, is why I want to be oh so careful never to give the impression that people in the Old Testament were saved by a different means than people in the New, because that is what Paul's striving to fight against in the New Testament. And so what makes Abraham so special? God's choice, but also Abraham's faith. Abraham was a man who truly believed the promises of God and walked in obedience to them. So let me kind of try to land the plane here uh, somewhat quickly. Don't forget the big picture of your Bible, okay? Now, When I was a kid and I held my Bible, in my mind, I held 66 books. But it's one book at the same time. 
66 books, over 40 different authors, three different languages used for the, the inspired writings, written over many, many years, and there's so many variables in the personalities of the authors who are inspired by God as they wrote the Scripture. 66 books. When we do a Bible study here at PCBC, or just even at the pulpit, typically what we do is we pick a book of the Bible. Uh, Dennis is teaching John right now. We're, we're going through the book of Genesis. We want to know about a book of the Bible. We study all we can about the book of the Bible, the author, so on and so forth. Let us be so careful to not miss that this is also one glorious book with one inspired author. One author. The living God. And so the Bible is one book, one author, and here's, here's the punch. One central message. Now think about this, you guys. Think of Genesis chapter 1, Revelation 22, and I just said there's one central message in the entire, book of, uh, in the entire Bible. This is what they call the meta-narrative, or the, the narrative that covers all the narratives. How many narratives, how many bits of history, how many names, how many people, how many locations are tracked throughout the scope of the Bible? A ton. And yet, throughout all those smaller tracks is this great big track that's going clean through the entire time where God is redeeming a people unto himself. Genesis chapter 3.15 says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's your first taste of the gospel. As you track through, you read. We'll see next week in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Through Abraham, every nation will be blessed. How? Well, the New Testament shines some light on that and tells us because the Messiah is coming through the seed of Abraham. And you go, well, we'd have to have like a, I don't know, what would you call that? We'd have to have like a genealogy to track that. Yeah. They're everywhere, on purpose, with a design by God. And so there's a thread of redemption running through the whole Bible. God's selection of Abraham and his plan to reveal this through his dealings with Israel as the Messiah comes through the line of Abraham and consistently God revealing himself to the nations. I encourage you, read the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, and get a highlighter and highlight every time Jesus brings the Gentiles into the conversation and the Pharisees get mad. That hit me over and over and over and over as I was preaching through that book here, walking through Luke, seeing Jesus bringing up the Gentiles and Jews getting so mad every time. Why? Because they missed the grand design which was through Israel to go and be a light unto the nations and draw people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. That's not plan B. That was the game plan from the very beginning. They just didn't like it. All of it leads and climaxes in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the central figure of human history. Jesus Christ is the central figure of the Word of God. All the way back to the creation of man. Let us make man in our image. And Luke chapter 24, if you would turn with me. And I know I'm out of time, guys, but let me... Um, 
not care and keep going. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. This is too precious and too important for us to not have a grasp of this. Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, talking with them back and forth, back and forth, ultimately boils down to one of the most interesting statements in the New Testament, verse 27, and beginning with Moses, that's the first five books, Pentateuch, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And look at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The promise of God and the marvelous design of God climaxes in the person of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is why those I am statements throughout the Gospels are so vital to get our hands wrapped around. Jesus is not trying to cause an argument. What he's doing is he's declaring there is an eternal plan of God throughout history. So let me press this into your hearts before we come to the table. When you find yourself afraid and you find yourself filled with anxiety because of the future, dive into the past. When you find yourself afraid and anxious about the future, rush to the study of history. It seems a little counterintuitive. You go, what, come again? When when you look at Oregon or the United States presently, and all of the division, all the fighting, all the backbiting, all the garbage that's happening in our world right now, and you find yourself fearful, you find yourself anxious, you find yourself concerned about what's going to happen in 2021, if 2020 was so hard, so on and so and all this happens, I encourage you, stop in your tracks and get into the past. Because... Seeing God's incredible design unfold in the past and the fact that God has not changed in any way will bring fresh faith and courage for the future. And so, beloved, I encourage you, grip tightly the truth of what God has done in the past, that it might strengthen and encourage and refresh you For the future. I want to pray and then we want to um, serve the Lord's Supper to you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the glory that is in your word and all that you have accomplished and Lord, all that you will clearly accomplish. And now, Father, as we turn our attention to your table, God, this is another clear, tangible reminder that you have a glorious design. And we praise your name and thank you for it. And I pray that this would refresh the body of Christ. Amen.